0: to power producers shop talk where we are refining and redefining the sales game by equipping you with the tools you need to differentiate yourself in the marketplace tactical skills that will help you provide deliverable value to your clients and prospects here these are conversations that will differentiate you from your competition now if you don't want to be different than your competition probably should just go ahead and shut this up. <laughs> and action items that you can provide to take your prospects and clients to the next level
1: like when we audit the mod and get into and the mod master and and give them the actionable items that they can that they can do in order to lower their cost of risk
0: this is power producers shop talk production redefined
1: reasonable and what wasn't, and, and I think that, you know, that's that's spot on, I and, mean, you know, these people that we're talking with don't necessarily understand what their exposures are and what they can even do about them, um, you know, when they're uncovered, so I, I do like that what we're able to provide is something tangible, action items that they can do.
0: Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody, welcome to Power Producers Shop Talk, episode number twenty.
1: Three. Twenty-three. His airness. I like it.
0: We should do a caricature of the flying Jordan for this episode. Hell yeah. So true story. Um, one of my clients of the past owned this massive distribution company that um distributed high-end shampoos and hair care products. Definitely would have been your best friend. <laughs> But this guy, like, he found the loophole, right? Around Paul Mitchell and Purology and all of these things, because you're supposed, you're not supposed to, at least you didn't used to be, that you should be able to get that product in big box stores. It was reserved for salon. Right, right. But the way the contract read, that only applied um, if the product originated in the US, like, it couldn't come from a US distributor to another place in the U S so what this guy would do is he would have it shipped to like Bolivia or someplace like that and then import it so that he was not in violation of the agreement that all these high-end shampoos had with their different salons and stuff. But anyhow, that completely different story for a different day. This guy, like I'm in his office and he's like, got all of this Michael Jordan stuff everywhere. And I'm in the call. I'm in a meeting with him, and his phone rings. And he's like, "I don't interrupt meetings for uh, anybody except this guy." And he picks up oh, the phone. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Hey, Mike, what's up?" Like, hey, Mike. <laughs> so this dude was huge buddies with Jordan.
1: Yes, right? I and remember he, this. And, and he
0: hangs up the phone, and he gets off, and he's like, "Hey, man, um, we're gonna have to wrap this up pretty quick. That was that was Mike. That, uh, was, Mike. Mike, he, like, <laughs> that Mike. was Mike. He's like Mike." <laughs> yeah he said Michael Jordan I said oh you, you and Mike are that tight he's like yeah he said he actually called me he's he's leaving Atlanta and he's gonna drop his plane in Tampa long enough for me to jump on and we're gonna go to, go down to Argentina for a long weekend of gambling
1: sick and you I'm said like, he, you said he's just got like a go bag ready in his office like under his yeah. desk right yeah so he <laughs> so just good. like
0: whips this duffel bag out from underneath <laughs> his desk it's almost like the gotta go of- bro Yeah, it's almost like the bag you prepare when your wife's pregnant that you have for the hospital. Yeah, yeah. This guy had that for Michael Jordan. That's awesome. So, yeah, it was funny. So, anyhow, I'm, like, talking to him, and he's, like, describing the inside of Jordan's G5 or whatever he had. It may have been a G4 at the time. What's one digit amongst Gs? Right. You know, but anyhow, he's, like, telling me the inside, the whole inside of the plane is, like, gold. Like, not painted gold. No. Gold.
1: Yeah, like, actual gold. Filled with cigars.
0: Like, dude, if I went in there and that guy's got a gold toilet, he's going to be missing a hunk of his toilet when I leave. Like, A, gold is a very soft metal, and I know that if I find something, I can rip some of the gold from that plane. (laughs) <laughs> it would be awesome if I was trying to Just get off of took a bite hook- out
1: of it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Or I, I'm getting off of his plane, and I've got this big hunk of gold shoved down the front of my shirt. And <laughs> I'm trying to trying to uh, steal off of Jordan's uh, plane, and I get stopped.
1: That's so good. Good
0: grief. Well, listen, we need to talk about middle market accounts and setting them up right at the beginning. And the last episode was about taking the auditor out. hmm the only other person that I think is is as likely or as is, is non-likely to be invited to a appointment to onboard an account unless somebody listens to this and understands it's a good idea is claims. Okay. Yeah. I don't see agencies taking claims people, claims adjusters, VPs of claims, whatever, out to the point of sale, but they should. Okay. There's a, whole re- there's a whole litany of re- reasons why. I'll give you several of them today. Let's do it. Yeah. So the first thing is, if you've never written a middle market account, you need to set expectations with that carrier, specifically with the claims department and also your clients, so that everybody's on the same page for what needs to happen in the event that there's going to be a claim. And one of the things that I th- one of the areas where I think people miss the boat, well, there's there's several, but specifically to how we do business, one of the things that I feel like always needs to be addressed on the front end is how the carrier is going to allow you as the agency to handle indemnity on claims, right? Okay You don't want to wait until the account's onboarded, bound and everything else to find out. That, that carrier frowns upon you paying indemnity either by leaving somebody on payroll or, you know, paying out of pocket for the indemnity portion of the claim. Some carriers just aren't cool with it. Um, not necessarily sure. I understand Yeah, why. I was going to say,
1: what's the, like, what, what would be the reasoning behind I don't that?
0: know. The only thing I can think of is maybe they feel like if you don't include the full indemnity on the claim, then the mod is not going to accurately reflect the risk. And at some point, if you decide you're not going to pay the indemnity out of pocket, they're not collecting enough premium based off of the okay. mod, and they're going to get hung out to dry. Makes, I, I mean, could, that, make, that makes sense. I could see that being a reason why, but right. uh, my job is not to advocate at this point on the carrier's behalf, you know, it's to advocate for my client. Right. And, you know, you ask up front, right? If the carrier says no, then you understand what the answer is. I mean, it's not like there needs to be any animosity around it. It just needs to be addressed. I'm not saying you're going to solve all the world's claims issues by bringing an adjuster to a, a new, a first meeting. But if you're trying to help your client control their mod, and one of the ways you do that is if you have low dollar indemnity claims, having them paid, by your client, whether they leave somebody on payroll or they allow the carrier to handle the claim, get it closed out, and then invoice you for the indemnity portion, which I've seen it handled both ways. You just want to have that expectation set on the front end so that everybody knows what they're dealing with. The second issue that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to